Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week back in a champions league week as well which means this is a double episode week here on ranks fc my name is jack collins and i will be your host today joining me as ever our transfer guru mr dean jones how you doing mate yeah i'm good mate um we don't normally record this late on a Tuesday. We normally record early in the day, but um, my um, well, my day basically messed up your day. So uh, thanks for jumping on a bit later in the day. As we're talking, Borussia Dortmund are currently beating Newcastle one 0 and Shakhtar Donetsk are drawing nil nil with Barcelona. So we'll have to see on the Champions League episode in a couple of days' time how all that panned out. But um, that's where we're at right now as we record this, mate. But um, everything everything's on record. I'm going to go straight off the back of this. And, uh, and make it work. So I'm, I'm excited about spending the entire yeah. evening watching games. I was going to say, sorry for dragging you away, because I know that you like to take in every single second of a Champions League night. But um, needs must, and we've got an episode to do. And yeah, I mean, it's been a mad weekend, hasn't it? I mean, sadly, uh, VAR is just leading English football these days. I mean, in any other league, like VAR is there as like an emergency, emergency use only, right? Like when we're really not sure, let's just go over to the video referee and just make sure we're getting our decisions correct. In English football, they're like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is causing a lot of drama. Let's just use it as much as we can. Stop the game for 10 minutes a game and uh, we'll just assess video replays. No one in the stadium can see it, but at least at home, everyone will be having, uh, they'll be on the edge of their seats and wondering what's going on. And we haven't got a clue really, have we? Um, It just seems to have taken over and, said on, on Monday's Patreon, like the the point of VAR was to 
decide cut and dry decisions and make sure things were right. And, you know, you're watching these games now, especially that Newcastle Arsenal one, and we're not any clearer. It's an educated guess as to what the, the outcome was. And then obviously you get to last night's Chelsea Tottenham game at um, what's VAR every five minutes, wasn't it? It was, it was unbelievable stuff. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty wild game. Um, and, and I wanted to start, I thought it would be unfair to start this episode. The main thrust of this episode is we are going to be talking about some records in football that we think are, are ready to be broken. The ones, the milestones that are going to be imminently changed in terms of whose name is on the plaque. But I think before we get to that, it would be disingenuous not to talk about Chelsea Tottenham or Tottenham Chelsea, I should say, on Monday night, because... As games go, amongst the wildest games of Premier League football I've ever seen. And I think that you're looking back at that and, and kind of watching it at the time and now watching it again today and just sort of going over it and trying to kind of cut through the details of it. It was just chaos from moment one. And I can't remember a game as completely and utterly ludicrous as this. And I think that that goes in all shapes and forms, right? It's not just the five goals. It's not just the mad Nicholas Jackson hat-trick where, I mean, I don't know if you'll ever see a closer to the goal hat-trick. You know, Dirk Kite has the famous one. Dirk Kite had work to do on some of those goals. This was unbelievably easy and it was really quite miraculous watching it at work. But also the five disallowed goals, the two yeah. red cards, the VAR decisions with the two red cards that should have been. It's interesting that the two players who should have been sent off eventually were sent off nonetheless. But you kind of go on top of all that and you think of all these crazy games between Chelsea and Tottenham, the Battle of the Bridge, all of that. I can't remember the last time I saw a team lose 4-1 at home to one of their great rivals and the entire stadium be like on their feet, applauding their players, singing the songs, loud as you, loud as you like. Everything about Monday night was complete and utter chaos. Yeah, and I feel that Tottenham should have been reacting in that way because honestly, I think as ridiculous as it sounds because they lost 4-1, they came out of it with more positives than Chelsea did in terms of what they learned about themselves. They had a resilience about them. They continued to play to a philosophy that has been is being ingrained in them. And at the end of the day, they were like an inch away from having a 2-2 draw with nine men against Chelsea. Like, they had two good chances. Not good chance. I feel like Son. Like Son looked devastated that the opportunity didn't take up before Chelsea go and score the goal that kind of opened the gates to them to go on and finish complete the game. But like by Son's standards, yeah, maybe he can score. But most people would just consider that like a half chance. Um, and obviously, there's the other chance that, that that Tottenham missed as well. And they were that close to getting a two-two, and yet they've lost four-one. Honestly, if it would have been 11 v 11, I know this is like a massive if, but I kind the way that the game had started, I would have predicted Tottenham could have won that game 4-1. Like they were that good early on. Do you think, this, I actually, weirdly, I, my, my hot take on this game, we, we're flipping the show around, doing hot takes early on. I thought Chelsea were all right, 11 versus 11. Mate, Chelsea actually, wouldn't have scored. It was like, actually they wouldn't have scored against when, 11. It was only when Tottenham went down to sort of 10 and then nine that I thought that Chelsea really kind of fell apart. And obviously that sounds ridiculous considering they scored three goals at 11 versus nine. But with 10 men, Tottenham felt like the better side. 11 v 11, I was relatively impressed with Chelsea. They got no, I mean, Nicholas Jackson, mate, could have been out there all day against 11 men and wouldn't have scored. Like he's, he's, he's got a hat trick, but it's because they've got no, def, no centre-backs left on the pitch and he's literally got three tap-ins. Um, that, that's... That's what he's got. I mean, I know he's celebrated like he's just scored a hat trick in a World Cup final. To be fair, considering considering what he's been through, I get Jackson it. and the fact that it hasn't been falling for him, that's fine. That's absolutely uh, fine. It it's 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 what you make of it. Um, but I'm not I'm not here to batter Nicholas Jackson today. He scored a hat trick. Whatever. Um, let's see. Jackson. Let's see. Let's see him do it again. Like. Is this a new start for Nicholas Jackson or is it a false start for Nicholas Jackson? Um, that's what we need to learn about the player. Like, is this, does this genuinely give him belief that he can go and be an elite number nine in the Premier League for Chelsea? Or is he going to, well, continue to, to kind of miss chances and occasionally grab a goal um, here and there? But we'll see. But uh, yeah, overall, like, I, I mean, I barely considered it a game of football. It was the, one of the best dramas I've ever seen. Just it wasn't really about football this game, and that that's what was so mad about it. Like something was constantly happening, but 
I mean, how long was the ball in play in the first half? I've really, I haven't seen the stats on it, but it felt like I wasn't really watching football. I was constantly looking at VAR and looking at replays of stuff and watching crowd reactions. Uh, watching, it was like watching replays of replays at times, and like I was mainly just on WhatsApp talking to my friends, and we were like, "What is this nonsense we are watching? What's the next thing we're going to be chatting about?" Because it doesn't seem to be about the game and actual football talent here. Uh, but look, a, a massive rivalry between these two clubs. Um, my one of my Tottenham mates was sending us through like he's he had his like fitness watch on and he's showing us as like he's up to a hundred beats per minute or whatever. Um, he's 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 like this is this is going to go through the roof in a minute. I'm getting so wound up here, uh, and it was just one of those nights. You know, it was I, I put on social media like I I don't know if I particularly enjoyed that game, but it's certainly an unforgettable game. I think I enjoyed it. I think I had a good time, and there was parts of it that were just like absolutely wild and there's been a lot made about this this high line right today and and the fact that Tottenham went against all of the standard all of the standard kind of procedures of what you do when you go down to 10 and then nine and in some ways it was really refreshing right and the fact that they tried to catch Chelsea on that offside trap they they trusted in the fact that Vicario is brilliant at sweeping they trusted the fact that there was pace enough to get back and cover when Chelsea got through and for a while it worked. And you could see Chelsea getting visibly more and more frustrated with the amount of offsides. And again, I don't know what we talk about records today. I don't know what the record is for the amount of offsides. But in that sort of 10, 15 minute spell at the start of the second half, before Adogi got sent off, the Chelsea must have been close because yeah. it felt like the flag was up every 20 seconds at one point. And it was bold and it was brave. And ultimately, it's cost Tottenham. But... Is it has it cost Tottenham any more than what we see with them if they just packed the box and invited pressure on them wave upon wave upon wave with one centre back off injured, another one sent off, more players coming on who you know haven't seen that much of this Ange system. We're seeing the likes of Eric Dyer brought into this game who hasn't really featured all that much during Postecoglou's time at Tottenham Hotspur. We're seeing different players playing in in positions that haven't maybe quite suited them. I was a bit worried about Bentancur coming back on against nine, you know, four, nine men against 11, having just recovered from an ACL. And I was he could like, have scored. He could, he have, could scored. have scored. But equally, I was a bit concerned about his legs because I was like, if he had eight, you know, if he has any sort of relapse here, Tottenham are going to be down to eight. And that's, you know, it's, it's as bad as it gets already. It was just incredible from kind of all of it. It was one of the most bizarre games of football I've ever seen. And I think when you're looking at you know, the injuries to Madison and Van der Ven, that's going to be a big test for Tottenham going forward. That's, this is when we're going to learn about what this Tottenham side are really made of. Obviously, that's the last of the, the unbeaten teams in the Premier League. Arsenal's Invincibles record goes on for another year. But I think what we're seeing now is this kind of moment. I think it was described on the commentary by Peter Drury as their amen corner of the season, which I thought was a lovely reference to Augusta, one for the golf heads out there. Um, that you know they're reaching this really difficult period in the season, but also they're now having to do it. We don't know how long Madison or Van der Ven are going to be out for, but in in the kind of chaos of it, it looks like that Van der Ven injury in particular could be a pretty brutal one. Especially now Romero is out for three games. Now Romero is a divisive character at the best of times because when he's on song, he's a brilliant defender, but when he's in an angry mood. He puts in challenges that I think genuinely threaten the well-being of fellow professionals. And it really is not great watching him sometimes. And he got away with one early on. And then the tackle for the penalty is, well, it's an awful challenge. It's an absolutely awful challenge. And he's got a deserved red card for that. And now he'll be out for three games. One, you know, so one set it back out for three games, one out for an undisclosed period of time. This is now the test for Tottenham. Because they go into this next period and yes, the fans can be really proud of the way that the nine players who are left on the pitch performed. But they now have to go into these next couple of games, tricky ones. I think they've got Villa in the, ne- in the next series of games. There's a couple of games you go, oh, okay, that, that's a task for Tottenham. And when you're looking at that without the key players who've been the kind of cornerstones of the Postacoglu revolution at Tottenham, how do these reserves step in to make things happen? Major question marks. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they answer those questions. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, my instinct is to back him because since Postacoglu came into this club, his man management skills have been second to none. And one of the big strengths of this Tottenham team has been the resilience of the squad and for uh, comebacks of players who had kind of been written off. You think of uh, Papi Matassar, you think of Bissouma, these players that we didn't think really had much of a, a, a future at Tottenham. And they have got a future at Tottenham. I see Hoybier come on again last night. I'm thinking like, like we've kind of written him off. Hoybier comes in and he's just like bang on it. You know, so Eric Dyer will be in. If Ashley Phillips is given games, Emerson Royale will be back in the team. I think that because of the type of man that Postacoglu is and because of what he's building at Tottenham, it wouldn't surprise me if they manage to somehow maintain their standards and their levels. Let's see if I might be, might be well off the mark. But because of what I've seen, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the reaction to this in the kind of wider media and what people make of it. And, you know, there'll be some people being like, that Tottenham line was absolutely ridiculous. They've caused their own problems. I'm just, I, I kind of buy it. I kind of buy it. And look, I mean, I would follow Postacoglu into the seventh depth of hell. So there, there is an element of bias involved in this. So I think he is just a wonderful man and a wonderful manager. And I love the way that he goes about his business in terms of what he wants his football to look like and why it should entertain and why it should always be something for the fans. So there is this element that, yes, they conceded three goals, but you look at who was playing centre-back at that point and Eric Dyer and I think Pierre-Emel Coybier was playing there for, for long periods of this game. It sort of just was whoever was the last man back sprinted into the centre-back position. But equally, you've got to just think about it and go, well, were they going to survive with that anyway? Maybe. Maybe is the answer. And I suppose that you could point at Chelsea, Chelsea sort of profligacy this season and go, well, if you actually had not opened up opportunities that were really, really obvious scoring opportunities and you had been able to pack the penalty box, would Chelsea have been able to find a way through given that they have been poor in terms of finishing and have been you know, profligate in front of goal? We'll never know. But they gave it a go. As you said, they, they could have scored a couple as well as the fact that they conceded three in this period. And I think that, you know, there was, a, there was a piece earlier in Athletic that was talking about this and it said, just said, plus, and this is important, it was very, very funny. And it's true. It was. It was incredibly funny to watch. It was incredibly funny to watch Tottenham continuing to, to use this tactic. It was incredibly funny to watch Chelsea failing to capitalise in it for, for quite a long period. And everyone just sort of going, what on earth are we watching? This is mm. like chaos incarnate. It was it was very enjoyable, and I I had a good time watching. Yeah, Tottenham Vicario in Tottenham goal was very unlucky to end on the losing team. Like he was like a like he'd been sent to war. Like he was unbelievable. Venom, he was battered v and bruised. Venom kept getting up. up to his name. Right. Venom was unbelievable, mate. What a lad. What a signing that has. The goalkeeper been. that's finally won me over. I finally like goalkeepers thanks to Venom. There you go. There you go. Right. And on that note, on that absolute bombshell, I think it's probably time for us to go to the main ranking in this podcast. We're going to be talking about some records that are ready to be broken after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main segment. And Dean, I know you've been looking up to this one. You've been It's been one sort of circling around the back of your mind for a little while. So I'm going to hand the floor to you. Yeah, well, there have been a couple of things in European football that just like um, you come across and you, you're aware of records that are there for the taking and they linger on for a little bit. And I'm always thinking, well, how can we get all these into a show? And at the weekend, something happened that I thought, right, this is the time we've got to go for it. Um, there is an obvious theme here and it's a, a story we need to discuss anyway. And it's a great way to anchor us into a ranking. We're going to rank records that are ready to be broken and these are big records as well traditionally we go five to one today we're flipping that we are starting with what i think is the biggest record that could be broken out of these ones the most significant one and it comes with harry kane like he scored this hat trick against borussia dortmund at the weekend in a four nil win for bayern munich and all of a sudden, mate, already, the big question, is Robert Lewandowski's Bundesliga goals record on the line? So the record goals in a season set by Lewandowski is 41 goals. 
he set that in the 2021 uh, campaign and yeah, scored his 41st goal on the final day of that season. So already we're having to ask the question, is Kane going to break that? He's got 15 goals already in Bundesliga, three hat-tricks along the way. He's just got back-to-back hat-tricks, Harry Kane. Can Kane break it? And we kind of alluded to this on Monday in the Patreon, and I think your initial reaction was to just say no. Um, But you dig around a little bit, and this is very, very feasible. Kane is currently averaging a goal every 44 minutes in the Bundesliga. He has, across his final 24 league matches of this season, 2,160 minutes of football ahead of him if he manages to stay fit. So, if Kane is to manage to keep on scoring at the rate he has done so far, he will score another 49 goals and end the season with 64 goals. That's at the current rate. Let's assume he doesn't. Let's imagine he drops off a little bit from that. He's got to drop off by some rate to not beat Lewandowski's 41. So there are signs here that Kane might actually manage to do this pretty comfortably. In the next few weeks, he plays against two teams in the Bundesliga, which, to be brutally honest, could get an absolute bashing off Bayern Munich. Heidenheim and Cologne are their next two games in the league. Cologne bottom of the league. Heidenheim are four points outside the relegation spots, but Augsburg scored five against them this season. Leverkusen scored four against them this season. I mean, just look at those two fixtures alone and you're thinking, what, well, blimey, Kane might be on 20 goals by the time he gets through those two fixtures. Hey, I know that your initial reaction was to play this one down a little bit, but I have to say, I fancy Kane. He's the best number nine in the world right now. Mate, 41 goals. I think he can do it. Hmm. I'm, I remain skeptical, I think is probably the way. But that why? I because I, I have a funny feeling that one, if, if the season doesn't, you know, if the season starts to get into the, the back end of it, he's playing European football as well. He's got Matthias Tell there backing him up, who's been in good form himself. I think Tuchel will rotate a little bit. And I think that there is always the spectre of injury that hangs over this one. And, and that in itself is something that, that makes me think that maybe this just won't quite go to play. I think you'll get close. I think you're right in that. But I have just a feeling that when you kind of look at what Kane's done and the fact that he's played a lot of football, the fact that the last couple of years have been very, very busy, you look at it and go, is he going to play every single game in this campaign for Bayern Munich? And I think the answer is no. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on him. And the reason that he's there is to make sure that obviously he gets club trophies. I mean, Carrie Kane's got enough personal accolades. He probably shouldn't be that fussed about necessarily beating Lewandowski here. What he needs is a proper trophy in his cabinet and he needs that Bundesliga pot or he needs the Champions League pot sitting there nicely. Um, well, Considering he's out of the other two. Well, he obviously lost the, <laughs> lost the, the Super DFB Cup Pokal. and then he's out of the Pokal. So yeah. it does feel, at one point I was watching that going, I know he didn't play in that game, but it yeah. did feel a little bit like the curse might be real here, especially with Leverkusen starting like a train. I was like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, I know you you raised the question of how many minutes he's going to play. All I can do is read into what I'm seeing right now. And Harry Kane, since arriving at Bayern Munich, has barely missed a minute of league action. He's started every single game. The earliest he's come off is 73 minutes um, in a 3-0 win over Freiburg. Um, he didn't score in that game, so maybe the manager was angry and bought him off because he wasn't good enough. Um, he was just but, trying to keep his minutes per goal record up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, what we're looking at so far is 10 games in Bundesliga, 15 goals, 5 assists. He's finding it too easy, mate. I mean, it's what I even think is is amazing about him is the ruthlessness of his finishing the way he's dispatching these shots into the net it's it's just I'm I'm honestly amazed at how easy he is making this look at the like top level of football like it was Borussia Dortmund at the weekend like this isn't one of the Bundesliga's bottom clubs this is one of the top teams in a big rivalry and Kane's making it look like a pre-season friendly yeah, no, I think that's 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 fair. Um, there is something interesting here. Do you want to know? Do you want to know a fun, fun one that could be broken more imminently? 
Sure. Actually, was something I was thinking about was the fact that he has back-to-back hat tricks in the Bundesliga yeah. now, right? Well, actually, you talk about those next two games, and actually, I think you could probably extend that. Now, obviously, scoring hat tricks every week is not really a thing, <laughs> but as you say, they're playing Heidenheim, who've been actually more impressive than I thought they were going to be at the start of this season. Then they play Cologne, who have been dreadful, and then they play Union Berlin, who have arguably been worse. So. The most hat-tricks in a row in league football ever scored is by Misashi Nakayama in Japan for Jubilo Iwata in 1998. He scored, in fact, it was very impressive. He scored 16 goals in four games. He scored four every time. Well, he scored scored at least a hat-trick in four consecutive games. No one else has ever done this. But Harry Kane must be looking at those fixtures and going, "Mm, could do. Could do. I think it would be. I, I think it would still be an incredible achievement, and I, I would be surprised. But <laughs> you can't rule it out if you're if you're if you're keeping him on at this pace, and you definitely can't rule it out. I mean, he's in that vibe that Haaland was in, isn't he? When he first came to England, and you're just watching every game, thinking, "Well, how many is he going to score today?" It's the not if he scores. Erling Haaland, Harry Kane. It's not if he scores. It's how many is he going to score? Like, and as soon as you're getting talks about like that, mate, sky's the limit. Sky okay. is the limit. All right, let's um, move on to number two, shall we? Yeah, talking of Erling Haaland, funny enough, he's got another record coming up. At number two, can Erling Haaland become the fastest player to get to 50 Premier League goals? So he's got three more to score here. The record for the least number of games to get to 50 Premier League goals belongs to an idol of mine, actually, Andy Cole, who did it in 65 games across uh, spells uh, at Newcastle and Manchester United. Um, so that's good. That's good from Coley. 65 games. banging in 65 is ridiculous for. 60... Unbelievable for. Mate, I loved him. Like, growing up, like, I'd, obviously, I was a striker and Andy Cole, like, I would just be watching him, like, nonstop to see how he was doing it. Um, a different striker to Haaland. Um, but, honestly, like... Such a a brilliant marksman inside the box. Um, anyway, Haaland is currently on 46 games. So he's got 19 matches here on Andy Cole. So this is, again, a, not a case for me of, is Haaland going to break this record? It's when is he going to break this record, you know? Like, this is, this is going to happen. Like, Erling Haaland is going to become the fastest player to 50 Premier League goals because he would have an absolute crisis of form if that's not going to happen. So, yeah, when's it going to happen? And I'm pretty sure, as long as he is fit, cause obviously he came off with a knock and, you know, he, he could pick up an injury. But if he's fit, the next five games, Man City have got Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, Villa and Luton. Luton is on the 10th of December. By the 10th of December, I'm pretty confident Erling Haaland will somehow have got to that record because if he hasn't got it in those four games before Luton, he'll bang in a hat-trick at Luton uh, and that'll be that. He he needs to get this one out of the way by Christmas so he can focus on his Christmas shopping and focus on what he's going to be doing in the new year with Manchester City and and as they start to get towards the proper trophies that he's got in his sights. But this has been spoken about for a little while now um, and Haaland obviously didn't score at the weekend um, much to the dismay of many FPL managers, myself included. But it's a matter of time, mate. And th- this list wouldn't be made up uh, effectively if it didn't include a Haaland record to be broken. And uh, this is going to be the latest. Yeah, I mean, there's less discussion with this one, I think. There's, <laughs> there's going to be less pushback. 19 games feels very doable for a man who's scoring a, a, over a goal a game over the average of his Premier League career. So. I don't think you're going to find much argument from me. And I don't think you're going to find much argument from the listenership either. That one is going to be Erling Haaland's record. It just feels like so many of the We could have done the entire list on five records that Erling Haaland is going to break. So yeah. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, yeah. look, I think weirdly, I, I would imagine he has his record done by the time he gets to that Luton game. Because it's actually in these, in these big games where he has actually often stood up, obviously scored... A lot in the derby last year. He's he's been well. He scored in pretty much every game, didn't he last year? So it's just a bit ridiculous to say that. But it has been those games where he's needed to, especially in the Premier League. In the Champions League, at the sharp end of it, was a little bit different. But in the Premier League, he tended to score on the big occasions, and I can see him doing so 
and especially you know you look at this we look at this and we talked about you know Tottenham falling off the top of the table with with that loss last night quietly in the background what we've what everyone's kind of missed this weekend is that obviously City won 6-1 against Bournemouth but you look at the table and suddenly it's like oh Man City at the top of the table They've got a point, they're a point ahead of Tottenham. They're three points clear of Arsenal and Liverpool. Fine. It's not screaming ahead. Their goal difference is already six clear of both Liverpool and Arsenal. It's four clear of Newcastle, but they're all the way back in sixth. And then you look at that, they're like, oh, they've got the best defensive record in the league. Oh, they've got the most goals scored in the league. Quietly, Man City have just like sort of slipped to the top of the rankings and you're like, are they ever going to come down from there? Mm-hmm. And the question, I think the answer to that question might well be like, <laughs> no. Um, do you know who the fastest player is in Premier League history to get to um, 10 goals is? No. Haaland took him six games. Do you know who the fastest to get to 20 goals is? Erling Haaland. Yeah. 14 games, yep. 30 goals? I reckon it might be Erling Haaland. Yep, 27 games. 40 goals? Yeah, Erling Haaland? Yeah, it took him 39 games and here he is sitting. He's going to be the fastest player to get to 50 goals as well. Like an absolutely ridiculous man. Uh, there we go. Number one and number two, Harry Kane and Erling Haaland. We're going to be talking about them for the next few years, I think, over on ranks. Uh, but yeah, interestingly, at number three, we have a topic which... We haven't addressed very much, to be honest, this season. Um, Certainly not to the extent to which they probably deserve to be talked about right now. Because over in France, there's a little story um, emerging, or has already emerged, to be honest. Um, And it's that Nice might have like the best defence we've ever seen. Uh, At the moment, they have the best defensive record in European football. And they might become the team in France to concede the fewest goals over the course of a season if this continues. So if you're not aware, Nice currently do sit on top of Liga um, and their defensive record is just absolutely ridiculous. So, so far, Nice have played 11 matches. They have conceded four goals. Four goals. They've kept six clean sheets in a row. The last time they let a goal in, was when Mbappe scored for PSG against him on September the 15th. Nice still won that game, by the way. And actually, in that game, it was 3-2. PSG are actually the only side to score more than once against Nice this season. And that's PSG and Mbappe. So that shows you what it takes to actually break this defence. When we're talking about the record that they've got to beat, funny enough, it was set by PSG. Um... It was in the 2015-16 season and PSG across that season allowed 19 goals to hit their net. So that's the record we got to beat. But this is slightly hard to gauge because the league has changed. We no longer have 20 teams in this league. It's down to an 18-team league. So actually, it's a bit easier for Nice to break that record because they're not going to play as many matches. So... As a technicality, Nice, if they continue at this rate, are actually going to go on to break this record. Um, But hard to judge, as I say, because they're not going to play enough matches to be properly compared to that PSG team. But, mate, I mean, you've seen them this season. Um, Obviously, Jean-Claire Tavibo gets a lot of the um, praise and is always talked about as being a transfer target for this team or that team. I'll be amazed if anyone can get him out of Nice in January because they are heading towards something potentially very special. And it must be tough to walk away from something like that. Yeah, I, I think what's really impressive about this is that, you know, Tadebo is obviously the, the name that was on everyone's lips in the summer. There was talk of him leaving, et cetera, et cetera. But kind of aside from him, it's a bit of a misfits is the wrong word, but it's a bit of a <laughs> scrambled together team. Do you know what I mean? Like, Dante is 40 years old. He's Tadebo's partner in the center of defense. Behind them is Marcin Bulka. I went to school who, with him, mate. Who, with Marcin Bulka? Yeah, yeah we, 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 I was like, you didn't go to school with Marcin Bulka. I know he was no. at Chelsea for a while. but No, you know, Dante, he was a, we were, my mate. Yeah, he, I mean, to be fair, to be fair. But you kind of look at that, and he was at Chelsea, never really broke through. I don't think he made an appearance. He went to PSG, and everyone was a bit like, huh? Um, got sent out on loan a couple of times, then went out on loan to Nice and has joined permanently. But very much was kind of seen as obviously still 
quite young. That's not, you know, let's not make unassertions about him, but definitely not a player that everyone was like, oh, perfect. He, you know, he, he's going to step up and be the guy. They've got Pablo Rosario playing at right back at the moment, who is a central midfielder by trade. You know, Melvin Bard's a good signing on the left. And I really, really like him. But this midfield pairing, and it's going to be interesting to see in the next game what happens because Ndai Ishimi, the Burundi centre midfielder, I don't know what the actual the derivative of someone from Burundi is, Burundan? Um, he, he got sent off against Ren at the weekend, and he's been really crucial to the way that they've defended. But Kefren Turam's there as well, someone who was linked, another one with, linked with a move away this summer. They've just been so hard to break down. And when you combine that with the fact that Terran Moffi is one of those players that, one, I think is right on the rise, but two, someone we really like here at ranks. They've got the aerial prowess of Gaetan Laborde sort of playing on the wing. It's a bit weird. I'm not completely convinced by it, but he does offer you something different, kind of crash in the box. Remember the way that Mandzukic used to play as a winger sometimes? Oh, yeah. He just sort of used to drift inside and, and win a lot of duels. Laborde's doing something similar. And then they've got Jeremy Boga. Now, with Boga, it's kind of like, do you get Sassuolo Boga or do you get Atalanta Boga? Because they were very different players, but so far, so good with his spell at, at knees. And kind of like, if you can set up a screen that doesn't concede goals, you're going to find players, you know, you're going to find moments from players like Moffi and Boga because that's just what they do. And I'm, I'm intrigued by Nice because here's one for you. If they break this record, as you say, I think they win the league. Yeah, I mean, what do they say? Titles are built on great defences. Like, I mean, that's... that's um an age-old tale that goes back a long way. And there's a lot of people that still believe in that. And obviously, if you're only conceding four goals after 11 games, then yeah. But we are only 11 games into the season. That's what we've got to remember. And it's a long, old season. And PSG... It's not as long as it was, though. No, it's not as long as it was. Like, quite literally, isn't as long as it was. Um, But PSG are obviously more built to... um, ride the waves that are going to come along across the season. Um, and Nice, you know, if they... Well, they don't have European struggle. football, which is a no. little bit of a plus in this regard, I think, because they're able to, to play that first team most weeks. They've been very, very impressive so far. That defence has been rock solid. Whether a 40-year-old Dante can continue performing to this level for the entire season, there will be question marks. But equally, he's getting that rest in between games. He, he seems to have a brilliant partnership with Tadebo in terms of they know where each other's strengths and weaknesses are and they're able to cover for each other. Rosario's been brilliant at right back. I, I don't know what's happened there. I, when he signed Venice, I was like, that's a really good signing in central midfield, not at right back. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's one of those where it all feels a bit cobbled together, but currently it's working and, and I'm all in on Nice at the moment. They're, they're great fun. So Yeah, I mean... Just amazing. So Nice have the best defence in Europe's top five leagues. Carry this on, lads. You got the record mm, and a title. Absolutely. And a title. Maybe most importantly. Maybe more importantly. Yeah. Let's um, let's go to number four, shall we? Yeah, well, four, mate. Um, I'm actually going to swing this over your way because I was trying to think. I, I had a list. I, we always do a top five and I, I had four in my head that were pretty obvious. And I was trying to think of a, a fifth and I was like... What a good narrative be for a good record that got to be broken. I was thinking, let's have a personal one. There must be a player that's looking to rip things up. Out, you know, let's move away from England and look across Europe. And Laminia Mao's name was just jumping out at me. Like he's already started to break records, and I was thinking there is no way that there aren't other records that this lad has the potential to break. I'm just going to throw to Jack to see like what he thinks this lad is capable of doing. Yeah, okay. I mean, should we start by talking about the fact that the records he's already broken? Sure. Because he is the youngest Barcelona player ever when he was 15 years old. That was back in April when he came on against Betis. He was the youngest starter ever, which happened at the start of this season against Cadiz, where he was 16 years and 38 days old. Mm -hmm. He became the youngest player to get an assist the week after against Villarreal in a 4-3 win. Um. And then he became the youngest player in a Champions League starting eleven when he played when he started against Porto in October. He became the youngest Barcelona goal scorer four days later when he scored against Granada. So he's still, you know, at this point, sixteen years and eighty-seven days old, and that goal also made him the youngest La Liga goal scorer ever. 
You go back a bit and he also got the youngest player to play for Spain, youngest goal scorer for Spain um, in, this, in the game against Georgia that they played out in the Nations League. And then he became the youngest goal scorer in a European Championship qualification match as well. So that's the kind of, that's the flat. That's, that's what we've already got in the bag. He actually beat, the, do you know who the youngest scorer in a Euros qualification game was before Lamina Yamal? Oh, I don't know. Go on. Gareth Bale. There you go. Oh, that was a long time ago. 17 and 83 days old. So yeah, beat him pretty much by a year. Like, it was like, it's like, yeah. okay, cool. These are all just changing. So we are recording this and Barcelona are currently playing against Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League. That game's going on in Hamburg right now. He wasn't start. He didn't, he didn't start in that game. Mm. And so, but, I'd imagine, considering the way it's going, I'm not going to spoil Champions League takeaway right now, <laughs> but the way it's going, he could well be brought on in this game. And so by the time this is released, this record could be broken. But at some point, I think he will become the youngest Champions League goal scorer ever. Ansu Fati actually currently holds that record. He was 17 yeah. years old uh, and I think it was 40 days. So basically, Yamal has any point this season in the Champions League to score. And he will become the youngest Champions League goal scorer ever. But I think the really interesting ones are the fact that he's obviously clearly now a full-time part of that Spain setup. And we've got European Championships next summer. So he's almost certainly going to become the youngest player ever at Euros. Because the youngest at the moment is Poland's Kasper Kozlowski, who actually took the record off Jude Bellingham in 2020. So Bellingham came on. Yeah. Got the record, and then Poland in the next next game brought on Kasper Kozlowski against Spain, actually. Mm. And so it was like, but he was, yeah, 17, 246 days old. I think that Yamal actually turns 17 during the European Championships, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's right. either the day off the final or the day before it. So any goal or any any appearance at the European Championship would make him the youngest player ever to appear. And at the moment, the youngest goal scorer is Johan von Lathlen, who played for Switzerland. He was 18 years and 141 days old. And he scored in Euro 2004. So another one, actually, weirdly, um, in that one, Wayne Rooney had the record for about three days before oh. von Lathlen scored. So, yeah, fun one that, that happened in the same tournament. Very much like Bellingham's one, taken off him by someone just a few days later. But it doesn't really matter because Jamal's going to take it off both of them anyway. Yeah, I knew I could rely on you, mate. And those, those are some amazing, amazing stats and some amazing facts on, well, a quite ridiculous footballer, really. Um, hopefully, have many, many years of Lamine Mal uh, lighting up football. And yeah, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten actually that the, the Euros could be a stage for him too. So um, yeah, just ridiculous, isn't it? Some of those those things that you're reeling off at that age, like. I looked it's up like one. Even... One I thought was interesting was I looked up whether he could become the fastest player to score, you know, a certain amount of goals or the youngest player to score a certain amount of goals in La Liga. But the only one I could find was that Messi became the youngest player to score 200 goals in La Liga, which was when he was 25. Now, obviously, Yamal has most of a decade to break that, but he's not quite the same player, and I can't no, really I see him scoring 200 goals. So, no, I think I think I might I might leave that one, but uh, he's definitely got some records to break this season, nonetheless. Brilliant. Right. Um, to wrap up the list, um, there's a record here that I thought would have been broken by now, but it hasn't. It hasn't even been equaled yet, but it's surely going to be. And it's James Ward-Prowse who has a record up for grabs here because David Beckham currently holds the record for scoring the most direct free kicks in Premier League history. And as soon as James Ward-Prowse was relegated with Southampton, it was the case of, well, this can't happen. He can't go and play in the championship because he's got a Premier League record to take because Beckham's set the record at 18 free kick goals and James Ward-Prowse is currently one behind on 17 direct free kick goals. So it was no surprise to see that he did take a Premier League move. He did rock up at West Ham and he has scored for West Ham. He just hasn't scored a free kick yet. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time before this one gets done, surely. I mean, James Ward-Prowse... Is just such an expert um, over a dead ball. He's 
it's it's almost like the same way that Beckham hits them as well. I mean, Ward Prowse has spoken many times about the fact that he spent his childhood basically emulating David Beckham, not just his kicking technique, but he used to try and have his hair like Beckham, didn't we all? But um, he, he would always try to to be a bit like him. You, which one did you have? Did you have the Mohican? Oh no, mate! It was just the it was the curtains. I've never shaved my head ever in my entire life, so I've, I've never gotten that short. Um, but yeah, it was. I was trying to explain to Taylor actually when we were watching the Beckham documentary of the time when Beckham went from having like long hair to when he shaved it off that day. We were getting to that part of the documentary. I was like, "Oh my god, I remember this day. I remember us all being at my mate's house on like a Saturday night." And watching match of the day, just waiting to see, had Beckham really shaved his head? Like, absolutely ridiculous times. But anyway, um, James Ward-Prowse says he doesn't obsess over practicing free kicks. Well, you'd never know that, given the amazing way that he actually takes him. I think he's so good at free kicks that it's actually come to be um, the only thing he's really known for in football. And actually, James Ward-Prowse is a a very good uh, technical midfielder. But there's no ignoring the fact that free kicks is the thing that he's become best known for and he's probably best at. Um, but yeah, this record has been waiting to happen for a while now because his last direct free kick goal came against Chelsea back in February. So that's when he scored his 17th. Um, so I'm waiting patiently for, for War Prowse to get this record. Obviously, Bex is an idol of mine and I don't really want Bex to lose this one. But I am quite accepting that holding on to it is going to be pretty impossible because uh, James Ward-Prowse is is not like on the verge of retirement or anything. James Ward-Prowse is 29 years old. He's just signed for West Ham United and he's got the rest of the season to bag surely at least one to equal it and two to get over the line and do it. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's... It feels inevitable, this one, doesn't it? And and look, well, well, Prowse's free kick ability is unbelievable. I mean, look, you go back, and we, we I think we once ranked the the best free kick takers in the world. Back, it might have been back in the BR football ranks days. And some you point, discussed yeah. the fact that James Ward Prowse has the whip dip technique. This is a thing <laughs> that hasn't been brought up on this podcast for a long, long time. The you whip called dip. it the whip dip. And yeah. it was a very important. It was a very important thing in the ranks FC kind of vocabulary for a little while. Oh my goodness! I totally forgot about this. That was such a good episode. I came up with all these different terms for them all, didn't I? We might have to go into the vault and dig that out for a Patreon episode. You were you were a huge fan of the whip dip, so yeah, there the you whip go. dips are the best free kicks you can take, mate. We all know that. Everyone, everyone's a fan of a whip dip. So yeah, we <laughs> we, we will wait to see when when. When James Ward Prowse hits the whip dip that takes him over the record from, from amazing, so yeah, amazing. I think you're right. It's the one that's waiting to happen. Oh, I love it, but yeah, that's it, mate. So that's that's our that's our five big records that we're waiting to be broken. We've covered a nice a nice bit of ground there. James Ward Prowse, Lamine Yamal, Nice over in France and their tricky defence, Erling Haaland and his race to get to 50 goals, and can Kane topple? Lewandowski and take that Bundesliga goal-scoring crown away from him. Lots to look forward to, mate. Lots to look forward to. And that will wrap up our main segment this week. But if you've enjoyed us talking about records, make sure you stick around because I've got a couple of fun ones to talk about in a reworked gibberish in part three. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and it's time for part three where the talk of all these records got me thinking today about some of the weirdest records in football history. I've got a couple for you. I've got a three to one and then I've also got an honourable mention for something that you maybe you don't know. So I'm, I'm excited about going through this one with you. But we're going to start with the most red cards in a game. What do you reckon the most red cards ever seen in a football game is? Oh, there must be a limit on it, isn't there? Um... Whoa, I guess the, I guess the manager does this include like managers and stuff like that though because yeah. I guess it can go beyond the the actual pitch, can't it? Uh, nine. Okay, so the most red cards ever given in a game is thirty six. <laughs> <laughs> so in Buenos How? Aires, there's a smaller derby. Obviously, everyone looks at uh, at that at that city and goes, "Okay, right, fine, Boca River." But there's a smaller derby between Claypole and Arenas, right? And in a game between them in 2011, they got a bit feisty. Uh, 
fan ran onto the pitch and everyone got involved in a massive scrap, like huge. One of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see in a football pitch. Managers running on, substitutes running on, the whole technical staff running on. Everyone just got into this huge like brawl and the referee just sent everybody off, like every single person that came onto the pitch. So he sent off all 22 players, seven subs, for each, uh, seven subs and managers for each team. So 36. 36. What? Damien Rubino, his name was, the referee. And you can imagine how that went down in Argentina when the game was abandoned because every single player was red guarded. I mean, I'm I can't imagine how, how did he get around to actually showing that many red cards? Because I feel like they would, it would have been so irate and it would have been so wound up. He wouldn't be able to get the card out enough times to flash it at people. I think he was just, you know, wandering around, just giving it the whole hand waving movement. Wandering, he must have been running because he'd have been chased. Well, yeah, I also think it's interesting to think about what happened in the next game. Because how did they field a team? Surely everyone was suspended. <laughs> so The game this... was postponed. Um, well, you'd imagine that once the team gets... They're actually probably... This might not be officially correct because you're supposed to, when a team gets below seven players, I think, mm. you're supposed to have to abandon the game. So it kind of depends which team he sent them off first. But if you did it all at the same time, maybe there's no limit. Well, yeah, that's why I was kind of thinking, right, well, if four from each team was sent off and a manager was sent off, then nine makes sense. Um, But I guess you can be sent off still. like uh, We've seen situations where people are sent off after full time, haven't we? Yeah. Like that, that can happen. So I guess... Even if like the game was about to be abandoned anyway, because enough red cards have been, I guess he can continue to hand them out if he wants. Well, he, he clearly did. Thirty-six he did, yeah. given out in that game in 2011 in Argentina, so that was fun. Um, right, next one is world record for the most teams played for, and this goes to a Uruguayan international, former Uruguayan international, Sebastian Abreu. Now, let me read you out his list of teams, because this is truly quite something, right? Mm-hmm. Defensor, San Lorenzo, Deportivo La Coruña, Gremio, Tesos, San Lorenzo, Nacional, Cruz Azul, America, Tecos, Nacional, Sinaloa, Monterrey, San Luis, UANL, River Plate, Beta Jerusalem, River Plate, Real Sociedad, Aris Thessaloniki, Botafogo, Figueirense, Nacional, Rosario Central, Alcas, Sol de America, Santa Testa, Bangu, Central Espanol, Puerto Montt, Audax Italiano, Magallanes, Rio Branco, Boston River, Athletic MG, Sudamerica, and Olympia de Minas. How many was 31 that? 31 different clubs. 31 clubs over how long? Over a spell between 1995 and 2021. Wow. That's a, he's been on a proper tour there. A proper, a proper tour. I mean... It reminds me of like when you say you were doing like, um, you know, people here like to to tick off all the football stadiums in England and how many they've been to. And it's like writing a list of like all the grounds that you've been to. He's not just been to the ground. He's played for them all. Impressively, he also made 70 appearances for Uruguay and then went on to uh, coach three different teams, um, well, including one of my favorite named teams ever, a Bolivian club called Club Always Ready. Club Always Ready. <laughs> So, yeah. No, you should shouts be club always late. Through. Yeah, well, that's a different point. Um, <laughs> yeah, but shouts out to yeah, 31 teams. Got the Guinness World Record. He played in the 2002 World Cup. He got the Guinness World Record for this. And he said, honestly, I was never trying to break a Guinness World Record, but it, it has made me very happy. So, <laughs> great stuff. Very I mean, happy. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. Yeah, that's Go on, a what else you got? Tour. Okay, uh, number one, uh, the highest scoring game. Now, this is a slightly more uh, well-known story, but... So the, basically, this was held by a game between Arbroath and Bonacore. Uh, it was in 1886. It was 36 nil, And it was like, well, that's never going to get beaten in the modern age. But actually, in 2002, it wasn't just beaten. It was completely and utterly smashed. And a team called AS Adema were, well, they won 149 nil against their opponent, Stade Olympique Lermine. Now, the funny thing about this is that the teams were one and two in the league. And Ermin basically did it on purpose. They scored 149 own goals because they felt that the decisions across the calendar year had basically favoured Adema and given them the title. So instead of, instead of playing the last game, the, the title had already been won, they scored 149 own goals. 
one every 40 seconds for the entire <laughs> game as a protest. So, right. I'm going to have to dig this out. Um, it reminds me very much. I actually see this on a, um, a daily basis because Dylan has this thing. He loves celebrating goals. Doesn't get to do it that often at Fulham anymore. And so he, he's looking for other ways to celebrate goals. And he watches these YouTube videos of people on FIFA who just stick Ronaldo, Messi and Mbappe basically in the same team. Then they make those players bigger and they pick an opponent and they shrink all the players on the other team and then they play and then it ends up like 64 nil or whatever. And Dylan just, he does this like most mornings before school. He literally sits, he, he stands on the couch and he goes mental for every single goal that goes in in one of these games. And he goes, Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo. And he's just jump, he's lunatic. And he's just leaping around watching this stupid YouTube video of FIFA. Um, but it sounds very similar to what you just described. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a bit like that. It was actually pretty chaotic, right? So it was in Madagascar. And it was like one of those where basically it, it, they were out They were out of the title race, race then. So it was, they, the, the whole thing was a protest movement. Um, the fans were obviously just like, I want a refund. What the hell have I just watched? I think, to be honest, if that happened at Fulham, I'll be like, that's that's amazing. I've just watched history. But um, it's probably <laughs> slightly different. There was so much so. The Madagascan Football Federation suspended the coach of Ermine for three years and four players. The captain of Ermine was also the captain of the Madagascar national team. He was banned from football for, th uh, the, for the entire season and wasn't allowed to go to any visits. Everyone got warned and basically like a threat of action. Um they forfeited every every result from Ermine's season and the club eventually was dissolved. Um, but the Madagascan Sports Ministry then dissolved the Madagascan Football Federation and then had built oh. it again from scratch. So oh. it had the protest. I mean, look, the club went under, so it yeah. maybe didn't work, but it did work in that they, they got the federation dissolved off the back of it. Okay, right, me. before we History go, lesson. before we go, I've got one more for you. It's the most goals in a calendar year. Easy. Who scored the most goals in a calendar year? Messi. 91. Wrong. Wrong. Oh. According oh. to the Zambian <laughs> Football Association. Oh, here we go. Go on. Who put in an official challenge to this, to FIFA, for the most goals scored in a calendar year, um, for uh, something that happened in 1972. And they when said... When did they put in the complaint? When Messi broke the <laughs> Messi broke the record, they were like, "This is nonsense." I've got the quote; it's it's, it's quite good fun. But anyway, Cabway Warriors striker Godfrey Chital, who actually then went on to become the Zambian national team manager, funny enough, they said he scored 107 goals in 1972 when he was playing for Cabway Warriors. And the spokesperson for the Zambia FA have got the quote written down here. He said. We have this record, which has been recorded in Zambian football, but unfortunately and has not been recorded in world football. Even as the world has been looking at Lionel Messi's record, breaking Gerd Müller's record, the debate and discussion back here has been why Godfrey's goals are not being recognised. What we're doing is we've commissioned an independent team locally to go back into the archives and record minute by minute each of these goals. The team that we've put together is going to calculate all those goals, recording whichever game or tournament they were scored in. We will send that to the Confederation of African Football and FIFA so that we can show that whilst Messi's record is there and very impressive, whilst Muller's record is there and very impressive, the actual record holder in terms of goals per calendar year is actually a Zambian. It's actually Godfrey Chitali. Oh, well, show us them. We need to see videos of them. We need to see all those 107 goals or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> fair play to them. I mean, they clearly believe in this. And um, yeah, yeah, was, who, um, who are we to write it off? You know, oh no, I'm um, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that. that but happened. I mean, but I think you there say, was also four competitions going on at the same time, which kind of does make it slightly easier. But I mean, you said they they lodged this when he when Messi scored the 91 goals. Yeah, well, that's that's quite a while. Well, they said now. that was when they were starting to put in the the digging of the archives. <laughs> are they still they, counting? The are they still figuring is, it out? It's still going on. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I've I've not seen any updates on it on it recently. Poor old so. Godfrey. Um, I mean, shout out Godfrey. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. Um, Who knew it? The, the, the true goat. The true goat, Godfrey Chitterly. Uh, and on that bombshell, 
I think it's probably go through for us to yeah, us to go. Um, yeah, it's definitely time for us to go. All that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for listening today. We'll be back uh, late on Wednesday night or first thing Thursday morning, depending on where you are in the world, with a Champions League takeaway, looking at all of the action in match day four. But for now, thank you so much to Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor Parts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We appreciate you and we'll see you later on. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.